Welcome back to another episode of the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile with Drew Stevens. Drew, it's good to be out of some isolation right now. That's for damn sure. It's, it's good to see you. Good to hear your voice. That was kind of non, non-existent for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Well, to fill the listeners in, um, yeah, after we had our episode with Dave a few days after, I came down with, with COVID. I dodged it for two years. And uh, finally, it got me. And I was out of commission for a bit over the the weekend before Christmas. And as Drew alluded to, I I did not have a a good functioning voice. Or when I did have a functioning voice, I would just start coughing after like a minute, maybe straight of talking. So uh, texted Drew. We agreed. Let's wait a little bit. And came back here after after the holiday. And uh, it's been weird, Drew, because... You come off that four-game losing streak, losing to the Hawks, two against the Knicks in that back-to-back at home, and then dropping, uh, of course, that game against Minnesota, giving up 150 points. And uh, all these reports come out about this uh, moment where team calls out Zach Levine, and there's sort of this come-to-Jesus moment, it seems like, and the Bulls come out, respond with a three-game winning streak against Miami, against the Hawks, and then against the New York Knicks and two thrilling wins against the Hawks and Knicks. And then, of course, right after Christmas, you think you have a soft opponent in Houston at home, and sure shit, the Chicago Bulls find a way to lose 133-118. Story of the season, you're hitting rock bottom, you seem like you're rounding a corner, and then... Bam, right back down to earth for the Chicago Bulls. Overall thoughts on everything that's really transpired within the last couple of weeks. Man, I think um, my thoughts now are, are similar to what they've been for the better part of the season. Is just that this team is, I almost want to say you don't know what you're going to get on a nightly basis, especially with their effort. Um let me not say effort, with with their sense of urgency, with their level of intensity that they bring to the court, and if they're able to sustain it throughout the four quarters of each game. But it's almost, it's gotten so bad, and it's gotten to the point where you almost expect them to have letdowns, not necessarily game to game, but for sure quarter to quarter, and you Mm -hmm. don't know how well they're going to get up for certain games. I think they're now three and eight against teams who are below 500, which is like a total flip around from what they were doing last season where they weren't playing with their food, where they were taking care of the teams who on paper um, they should have beaten. This season, they're winning a good chunk of games against teams who most of us thought or feel are going to be pretty competitive moving forward and um, have an opportunity to win a playoff series or at least get into that top six group, but they're just not putting it together for a full 48 minutes on a consistent basis. Clearly, you know, with them finally getting their first three game win streak and we're almost at January one, you know, it's pretty frustrating. Um, especially considering some of the opportunities they've had to get a third game, um, in a row, but it feels a little bit like more of the same, even though as you brought up, they were able to, I think, for some fans, for me at least, kind of earn back some of that goodwill with what they did in those three victories. Um, A lot of effort, a lot of the team playing to the standard that Billy Donovan expects of this team. But then it's just like, man, you can't, you can't have a night like last night. Yeah. And it, it really is like repeats of, of things we've seen throughout the season and go back to November. They had a a loss against the Pelicans, followed up with a complete drubbing by the hands of the Nuggets, right? And that was in the midst of a four-game losing streak against the Pelicans twice, the Nuggets, and then that devastating loss to the Magic. What happens? They turn it around the next game against Boston with a big win, a win against the Bucks, and you start to feel like they're turning a corner. And then they get an opponent that, you think is a layup, right? The Oklahoma City Thunder, what happens? They lose in overtime to the Thunder. And it almost reminded me of that same kind of moment for the Chicago Bulls, where you think 
they're about to hit this point where maybe they're about to turn things around a little bit, get themselves back into that play-in area of the Eastern Conference or playoff picture within the Eastern Conference, and then they get that rough loss. And this is, you know, I mentioned to you a few episodes ago, like this is what you get from a team that hovers around the 500 mark. But I don't even know if I can say that anymore. Like this is what you're going to get from a team that could end up in the lottery. Like that, that's that's more realistic than even a, a team hovering around the 500 mark. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to face it. Like this is this is a bad team until proven otherwise. Unless they have that moment where they really consistently do turn it around, then I don't know if I can really give them the benefit of the doubt anymore. And it's it's unfortunate because you look at everything on paper. You think this is a good collection of talent, but for some reason, as a group, they're just not hitting their stride. And a lot of it's effort based, too. I think that's the most frustrating thing. Leaving guys wide open at the three point line, not pulling at the same end of the rope defensively. I'm going to st- stealing a Tom Thibodeau term. If you remember, he used to always say that, right? You got to be pulling on the on the end of the rope and somebody let go of the end of the rope. That was what he used to always say. But they would struggle defensively in a stretch, right? They let go of the rope and you always get that feeling night in and night out. And and that's what sucks is it's a lot of it's effort based. And there are guys on this team that should always be putting in an effort. Like Zach Levine, you've been given a max contract. And part of that agreement, it's mutually implied. You have to play with max effort to, to earn that contract. Nobody's saying he shouldn't have been paid. I think he should have been paid that contract, but I was expecting him to at least give that, consistent effort on both ends of the floor every night getting paid that much. You know, I also expect it from the other guys like, like Damar and Vooch. I think Vooch tries. I think Vooch just has certain deficiencies, but I feel like there's even times where you just watch him defensively and you just, you're puzzled. Like last night was a good example of that. Same with Damar. Like I love what Damar does offensively, but there's a lot of times, man, on the defensive end of the floor, I expect a lot more effort out of him. And it's just, it sucks because these are your top three guys. These are your alphas and they have to be the ones that give that effort. And when you just see them hot dogging it, it, it pisses you off because there are guys on this roster that I think would give a lot of effort that don't have that same ability, right? Guys like Alex Caruso, guys like Javante Green, guys like, you know, Io DeSumo. You just, you want to see your, your top guys give that effort and, bring it every night, but it's just, it's not the case this year. Yeah. And it goes back to a point um, that we talked about earlier this season, where part of the problem with this team is that because of the way it's constructed, because of those top three players being the players that they are more offensive minded than defensive minded, more warts on the defensive side of the ball than offensively, they have to be propped up in a way, whereas other teams, now granted, you know, there's only so many generational type players, the Giannis Antetokounmpo's, the Jason Tatum's, um, you know, the John Morant's, but those those guys are are the pillar that holds up those teams for the most part. You know, I know Memphis had an outstanding record without John Morant last season, but I think, you know, people would get my point. Um, But with this team, because the top three guys don't play a consistent game defensively, in Zach Levine's case specifically, you don't see the same want to Mm -hmm. on a game-to-game basis. They have to be kind of supported by guys who bring the energy and defensive effort on a night-to-night basis. Like you just said, the Javante Greens, the Alex Caruso's, the Derrick Jones Jr.'s. So I think this is this part of the construction of this team. The point you made earlier about kind of how the ebbs and flows of this team point to it being a 500 team, peeling the onion a little bit, points to it being possibly a lottery team. As we stand here today, I believe they are tied for eighth. They would, you know, be tied with um, the Thunder mm-hmm. in terms of getting eighth pick in the upcoming draft. But if we peel that onion even more and Billy Donovan spoke to this early in the season, it speaks to perhaps the mindset or 
the lack of intensity, I don't know the word to use, with those three guys, with mm -hmm. Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and Nikola Vucevic, which is kind of, it's disappointing. You know, it's disappointing when we zoom out and look at the effort that the Bulls are giving, but it's, I think it's even more disappointing when we zoom in, given what we've heard Billy Donovan say, where he, he wants to put it all on those guys' his shoulders in terms of getting the team off to better starts, to making sure that um, they're not starting slow, that they're setting the tone. It's mm -hmm. more disappointing when we focus in on those three guys for various reasons, but number one, them not having a lot of playoff experience, the amount of criticism and um, just the, the level of suspicion, I guess, that people had about the fit, about how well they could play together, about their ability to lead teams. Like you would think that would kind of give you a little more self-motivation where you yeah. can bring it better on a, on a night in and night out basis. And I think that's, that's more so where I'm going with each one of these like disappointing loss after disappointing loss after disappointing loss. I'm looking more at those three guys and trying to figure out, okay, did they have it tonight? Did they bring it tonight? Were they given uh, a 48 minute effort or however many minutes they played that night? Are they given an effort that's conducive to superstars or stars leading a team somewhere? That's kind of yeah. where I'm going now as the season goes on. Well, and it's interesting because right after you you have that that loss against Minnesota and the report comes out from the athletic, um, you saw a lot of the beat writers were zeroing in on Zach Levine that that next game against Miami and the effort against Miami and Atlanta and New York was much better. And then last night, it was almost like a relapse where you're seeing Zach Levine after an offensive possession doing what he's done a lot this season doesn't get a call and starts jawing at the referee and his man is cutting right down the floor. And Zach is allowing, you know, a possession to happen with one less guy on that end of the floor. And it's moments like that, that just frustrate you because how can you not see with, when you give that effort, how good this team can be like, that's, I think what's a little frustrating now We'll definitely get into all the roster construction issues and, and if Billy Donovan holds some of the blame here. Um, that All of that's understood. But, you know, we talked about them being around the 500 mark when the season started. You said 42 wins. I said 44. And we looked at that as if with the role players they have, with some of these energy-type role players, plus your big three providing some level of effort every night, that's how good the Bulls could be. And I think that's what's thrown us for a loop at this point is it seems like they're not doing it. And, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, we can point to Zach getting paid. I think that's an easy one. That That's, I think, something that everybody will, will consistently point to, you know, on all the different radio stations and the podcasts and whatnot. But is it the fact that, you know, they just kind of complacent because they feel, hey, look, we got to the playoffs last year, kind of coasting, but we struggled against those bigger opponents. And do we have to step up our game for those nights and scale back a little bit and conserve ourselves because we, you know, got hurt and we, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And I wish I knew the answers. And I wish Billy Donovan had answers. You know, like we I, I consistently have brought this up, especially in the last few weeks. Billy Donovan, man, he definitely will talk your ear out and tell you what's wrong. But rarely does he ever just give you a solution or tell you how he thinks it could be fixed or show evidence of how it can be fixed. And I don't know if that's because there's a larger roster issue at play and definitely dive into that a little more. But yeah. you just wish that there was something that you could get in terms of a resolution. But I guess, you know, in those cases, effort is kind of hard to teach. But as a coach, you kind of have to bring it out, don't you? So to, I'm going to give Billy a, not a pass, but to his credit, whatever you want to call it, I don't think there is a solution other than what he's been saying. Guys got to rebound. 
Guys got to defend. Um, you can't get affected by what the scoreboard is telling you and having that affect how you're playing defense or how you were um, connected to each other on the court. I think that is what that's that's what it is. You know, he's he's telling you what he needs or what this team needs for it to not even succeed, just to to be in games. To you know, he used the phrase to to pay the price of admission. That's what it is. You have to bring that effort night in and night out. You can't let up. You can't look at the opponent. Can't get caught up in the scoreboard or the referees. And the fact that he's having to say it over and over again, I think you could say that it, 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 it's, it, it's a referendum on maybe him, but I think it's more so on the personnel. You know, I think everybody deserves a little piece of, uh, uh, of, of uh, blame for what's going on. But I think that, again, it goes back to, hey, DeMar, Zach, Nicola, you're the, you're the leaders of this team. Do you feel like the three of you specifically are setting the tone pregame, setting the tone in warmups, setting the tone in the beginning of the games? What is, if you guys are the leaders of this team and Billy Donovan has now made it clear that he's looking at you three to be the leaders of this team, not only figuratively, but literally um, in your demeanor, in your actions, you know, perhaps in, in your, in the way that you speak to the team, are you doing enough each game, not just scoring the ball, not just in terms of, you know, playing through each other, but for your teammates, what are you doing on the offensive side of the ball? Are you giving extra efforts? Are you seeking those 50-50 balls with enough oomph to really grab them? Like things like that. I think that that is the frustration. It's not the losses necessarily. It's the way they're losing some of these games. Mm -hmm. And you kind of just made me think of something too. Go on Dragic. I got to give him credit for calling out essentially those guys. And, and I guess if you piece it together, it was after that loss to Minnesota. He you know mentioned that, you know, guys aren't playing for each other, that that being the, the issue. And it kind of correlated with the report that had come out right after that game about what was being said in the locker room and after the game. Um, and, you know, I, I got to give him props for that because there is something to that. Like it is a, you don't want to sound hokey, but it is a team game, right? Like you, you do have to play for the other guys that are on the court with you. And that's where defense is so important. That's to me, like the one thing in, in basketball that does require full team effort. Like you have to trust the people around you. And, you know, you watch bulls games and it's an observation being made. I feel like all over the place by reporters and uh, you know, different people that are going to games lately when the Knicks were in town, um, one of the I, I can't remember which sports radio personality it was, but he had mentioned that you're sitting there and you hear the Knicks talking to each other nonstop barking on the floor the whole game. You watch the Bulls, though, on the defensive end, it's quiet. And that that's concerning. Like that's unless Alex Caruso is out there. Right. And like that's the thing. If if you don't have Alex Caruso out there and, and you kind of like I feel like you look at Alex Caruso and, and you even see this year a more pissed off look on his face from game game in game out. It looks different. It looks more like agitation than it does just him being intense. Um, and it's again, these are the little things you start to notice because you're in the midst of a bad season, right? Like you start seeing it more. You're like, huh, is he actually intense or is he just agitated? Like you, you start asking those questions, right? And it's worth asking. It is. Um, but it's hard to know like how it's going to be resolved, at least the way it's currently constructed. You don't know how it could be resolved. And I think that goes to a, a bigger point, a point you and I have brought up a lot lately. Taurus Karnaschovas, Mark Eversley. We haven't heard from them. We don't know what the plan is right now. And we don't know. Like they, they preached continuity and consistency. And now clearly it's not working. So, the honeymoon's over. What What's your plan now? What do you plan on doing to resolve it? Because honestly, this is going to reach, I think, Garpaxian levels BS at some point. 
we would want like to know what the plan is and are they actually going to try to pivot at some point here? Because clearly if you're going to keep this as currently constructed, I mean, yeah, they're going to be in the lottery and happily giving their pick to the Orlando magic. Yeah. Unfortunately, that is kind of the main theme of the season. I think now with them still being a game, just out of the playing tournament as it stands today, it is what is the front office going to do? Are they, I think by all, by all accounts from the people who are most in the know, they don't expect the front office to go a full on rebuild, um, more of a retool, if anything. Yeah. Uh, it and makes just, sense. Yeah. And like, I, I know some, some people get ticked with it because it's like, well, you know, what's the point? Because it, the, but Again, it goes back to the, the the state you're in because of the trade you made for Nikola Vucevic. You, your pick most likely is going to the Orlando Magic. It's going to be really hard to guarantee you get in the top four. I think that's that's more of where I'm headed. I mean, say what you want about Zach Levine. I, I think that he'd be the last of the big three that I'm looking to move. He's obviously younger, um, just signed a hefty deal. And let me just say this. I, I know really before this last four-game stretch, um, coming off the heels of the athletic report where it was stated that him and the Bulls weren't seeing eye-to-eye, him and DeMar were having um, face-to-face, one-on-one meetings about how they could better click on the court. Um, I'm not ready to give up on Zach Levine. Now, that doesn't mean that I, I, if I'm AK or Mark Evans, that I'm not looking to see if there's a market for him, uh, whatever that might be right now, because you would guess that it would be kind of on the low side compared to what it was, you know, maybe this time last season before he got hurt. But I'm not ready to give up on him. He's still a young guy. He's still learning. Like, he's still only 27. And I know that's not what people want to hear right now, uh, because he still has some of the same warts that he's had his whole career. Um, but I think there's there's room for improvement. And there's, there's, in my eyes, there's reason to believe that he can get better. I mean, DeMar DeRozan just had his season, a career best season in his age 33 years uh, season. So, and not saying that they're the same player, but you know, Zach has always preached about how he wants to win. And while he doesn't always show the winning habits of a player, like we just talked about on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, his shot selection at times, I'm just not ready to give up on him. He He's a guy that even if you end up moving him, he can get you back something really worthwhile um on the trade market or if something happens i know this upcoming summer they don't as it stands they don't have a lot of wiggle room in terms of salary cap but you know a year or two or three he might be able to get you somebody that can take that mantle face of the franchise whatever the case may be and he's still a good sidekick because he can score from different areas on the floor um He's wonderful in catch and shoots, or at least historically he has been. So I'm just not ready to give up on him yet. We saw him um, take more onus on the defensive side of the ball in that win in Madison Square Garden when he was uh, told DeMar that he was going to take R.J. Barrett. Now, it's not like he's just shut him down, but you saw him put forth a better effort defensively. And I just think that it's, it's it's not time to, you know, push him out of the door hurriedly like let's 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 kind of gauge the market for him maybe but let's look if there's going to be a retool it has to be in my mind through the Rosen because he's mm-hmm. at this point in time I think would get you the most back what you're saying there about Zach I I'm with you and look Zach's pissing me off a lot this season okay there's a long did... run, apparently and look <laughs> and I because you you hear it now with second guessing from a lot of Chicago sports media about, well, that's why you don't give him a max contract. I, bullshit. 
if you want to, if you pay attention to the NBA, you know, you have to give them a max contract. If you don't, the rest of the league takes note of that. And then you become, oh, well, it's that cheap Jerry Reinsdorf. It's, it's those Reinsdorfs, you know, they're, they're pulling that crap again. You don't want to have that reputation and they had to pay him. Now, I did think when that move was made that if you were AK and Mark Eversley, you had to make other ancillary moves to make it worth your while. And the problem is they didn't. Mm -hmm. What I will say, though, is. Again, when you do take that contract. It's implied that you are taking that next step or you're trying to take that next step. And the thing with Zach Levine, you know, it's there the traits to want to get better every year because we saw it happen before that contract. You know, when he, for the minute he came to Chicago and the year after his first season, you know, his first year in Chicago, he basically came back from the ACL injury, played a little bit. They shelved him a little bit towards the end of the year. He signs that offer sheet with Sacramento bulls match it from that point. Every season, Zach always seemed to do something to improve his game every year. We watched it from from that point to this, you know, prior season. Zach always added a wrinkle to his game that made you say, hey, look, he's always trying to get better. I think that's what what's a little. It's it's what ticks you off a little bit, but it's also, you know, it's there. That's that's why. And, And I agree with you. He's younger. He's somebody that I think could be a, a sidekick for somebody. I 100% agree. And it, the, the, the path does seem to be through DeMar DeRozan. Now, the question is, what does DeMar DeRozan get you? I guess, you know, that's that's going to be key. And, and you know, maybe it's an addition by subtraction. You know, maybe you get more role players in that situation and, and you try to get the, you know, get to the plan. I know there's going to be those pocket of Bulls fans that would have said, well, you were on this track if you had just kept Wendell and and Lowry and kept your draft capital, right? Like, we're we're going to hear that. We're going to mm-hmm. definitely hear plenty of that if this happens. But I do think that's the the course correction for this team. And it's unfortunate because I, I do like DeMar DeRozan. He gave us a, a lot of awesome highlights last year. And even this year, you know, plenty of moments to start the year and a few nights ago against the Knicks saw that magic again, but I do think it's the best course of action. If you want to retool this on the fly is, is to do it through DeMar DeRozan. Now, what does he get you? That's the question. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky, man. E- even to me saying what I just said, it's, it's a tricky proposition because you, just because he's on the last year of his deal and you don't want to let him walk without getting something in return, you almost have to deal Nikola Vucevic too, mm. um, and then at that point, depending on it, it'll it'll be interesting to see if that happens, what they are able to get back. Um, because my thinking, part of my thinking with making sure that you hold on to Levine was in in shipping off DeRozan, you're getting hopefully worthwhile pieces back but you're also opening up the floor and potentially potentially um, making space for shooters and, and putting yourself in a position to jack up your, your three-point rate um, as a team. Because DeMar obviously is, is, because he is who he is, he's gonna really kind of shape your team in, in the in the form that we've seen it with the Bulls the last couple of years where they are a mid-range jump shooting team that doesn't take a whole, a whole hell of a lot of threes and, you know, is getting burned from beyond the arc constantly. Um, part of that obviously has to do with the, with defense and how they are uh, playing it, you know, trying to protect the rim and that kind of leaving them vulnerable on the perimeter. But it just will open things up a little bit more. Um, it's just going to be inter- interesting because then you are back to Levine being the number one guy and you got to kind of have to to wait it out to see what, what's the next shoot or drop. Um, 
And then what Lonzo, the situation with Lonzo Ball, is he going to come back when he, when and if he does come back, who, what kind of player are you getting back? It's, yeah. I, I understand the different sides of this argument, but again, it just seems like this organization is not long for another rebuild. So, okay. So where do we go from there? You know? Yeah. You know, uh, Will Gottlieb, who who we had on uh, about a month ago on our on the podcast, and I think it was what was it on the gosh, this would have been Tuesday. You know, I was just kind of cooped up in bed and going through the Twitter timeline. I saw him just tweet um, about the next CHGO Bulls mailbag, and I actually I never checked to see if he actually engaged with with this trade proposal because he was just asking for fake trades and he was going to critique them in his mailbag. Um, so this, this is great, by the way, podcast presentation is literally saying, I don't know if you ever replied to this, but it, it, the, my, my trade proposal ended up getting some engagement from other folks in Bulls Nation when I just threw out the whole DeMar DeRozan for Kyle Kuzma and Monte Morris. Threw that out there. Now, I've seen some um, some of our brethren in the uh, podcasting sphere. I think Salim Sardarwal is definitely one of them who said, you know, DeMar DeRozan probably is somebody that you want to see if you can get draft capital for, you know, see if you can recoup first round draft pick for or something like that. But I've been more of the, I guess, belief that it's probably going to be players that you're going to get back for a guy like DeMar just based on the age. That's just my thought. You know, maybe a Kuzma-ish type player, veteran point guard, because you got to match the salaries. You know, Kuzma's not making that much money, mm-hmm. um, relatively speaking, NBA standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and I think, though, it was interesting. A lot of folks in Bulls Nation thought that's that'd be great if you can get a, a young two-way player like Kyle Kuzma, who's, you know, really having a, a, a solid year, a career year for him, and would be a great fit on this Bulls team. Like, if you could map out like what's a young player who's not necessarily a superstar, but could bring a lot to the current situation, I think it'd be Kyle Kuzma, hands down. Yeah. Um, you know, you start the reading that he is indeed on the trade market, but they're looking to get back quite a quite a bit for him, it sounds like. So I don't know. What do you think about the whole Kuzma idea or you know, is it feasible? Do you have to get a little more creative than just offering DeMar do you have to give something else with it what do you think I mean it's, it sounds great in theory but I'm just stuck on what is it that Washington wants to do by them signing Bradley Bill to that huge deal it seems like they're not interested in rebuilding either mm. <laughs> so what is it that they will want in turn and why would it be the Bulls who they look at when there's some other contenders who might be able to give them a better package for Kuzma. Right. So I'm kind of, I'm looking at it like a a pipe dream, kind of pie in the sky type scenario. Although, like you said, he, he would seem to be a great fit um, here with the Bulls, but I'm not really, I'm not taking it. I I don't expect him to be a Chicago Bull. I just put it that way. Yeah. Like I, I think a move will be made at some point where Kyle Kuzma does get dealt, but the Wizards are in this position of, of being in no man's land really for the last few seasons. And so, yeah, it's going to have to probably be worth their while, right, to to part with a younger guy like this. And you would expect that would mean heavy draft capital, probably changing hands in order to, to get a guy like that. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I, I would agree with you that it's probably not going to be the Bulls. I would love it. And if, if there was a way to make it happen again, you, you get creative or somehow you work out some three team trade and it, it goes down. Awesome. But yeah, I, I'm not anticipating it. Also just checking out CHGO. I don't know if they actually ran the mailbag because I think that also was right around or the next day might've been when the athletic report came out. So okay. might've been something that, you know, he kind of pitched it out there on Twitter, maybe didn't get the response he wanted, but it's interesting. Like the, it did get me thinking though, about the whole idea of Kuzma and then the soft reset or retool with moving a guy like DeMar out. Could you see a scenario where a team, maybe a contender 
like a an LA Lakers type situation, would you could you anticipate that being the the type of move to reset? But again, I don't know if that really helps you in the moment because I think the Bulls are also trying to achieve long term health while also trying to maybe make some noise this year or at least be competitive this year where like best thing you probably get from the Lakers is Westbrook and picks and that doesn't really help you in the short term yeah and I think those picks would be like first in 2026 and 2027 so right yeah it's not satisfying one end of that you know spectrum that the Bulls are trying to 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 hit on um and then it's like, man, like like I spoke to spoke to before, DeMar is such a has such a specialization in the fact that he lives and dies in that mid-range. What team could he go to where he would be um a fit? You know, I hate yeah. to say that with all the talk and chatter we heard about him and, and Levine and how they would fit, but just not even I'm just just speaking about just basketball wise, like where where could he go? I, I heard I thought I heard um or read somewhere that Phoenix could be interested in just like um hmm. he, could be, he could be like a, a little bit of an insurance policy for for CP3 who you know is is um obviously getting older um tends to get injured late in the season sometimes in the playoffs um and maybe you could do that to give them some more punch but then it's like who are they giving up hmm yeah that's something I would have to look more into because one thing, one thing about these trade machines, you can't account for picks. No, <laughs> you, and that that that's what you have to also look at, right? Like you have to match salaries, but then is draft capital going to change hands? And and it's hard to kind of like you'd have to look and see like what kind of draft capital they possibly have. Because it, it seems like most of the league is kind of like in the similar situation the Bulls are in, where yeah, other than like OKC, it seems yeah. like there's a lot of teams that have to wait to give up draft capital, like a couple of seasons down the road. It was interesting. I'd seen, um, I can't remember the exact source, but it might've been just some type of aggregate where somebody was just spitballing ideas with the Denver nuggets be interested in a DeMar DeRozan. And I remember thinking like, why the hell would the Denver nuggets want a DeMar DeRozan? I, I don't see the fit goes back to your point. Like it is really hard given DeMar's skill set. You know, maybe LA is the the place where it could work, but you know, if we, again, how is it worth the Bulls' while? It's hard. Toronto is another team I thought of, and that's another team that I think was brought up too, like you said, um, in social media. But I, I just wonder who would be coming back. I think I, what, the trade that I saw. I think, matter of fact, it was in it was on um, Bleacher Report, and I think they had. I mm. can't remember the picks that changed hands, but. I know Van Vliet and I think Gary Trent Jr. were coming back to the Bulls. See, that would be of interest to me. Like, I, <laughs> I would, I'd happily take that. I mean, you know, Fred Van Vliet, that would be also like a little, you know, I mean, you're getting a great scoring pop, but it even kind of helps with solving a potential short term point guard issue, too. True. So, you know, that's. That would be a nice get. And I wonder how many years does Van Fleet have left on his contract? I'm going to, I'm going to research that, but that would definitely be one that I I'd be intrigued with. I don't, again, would Toronto be, I don't know, but. So the interesting part is that they're in a similar boat as the bulls, but they have draft capital, I believe. And they have hmm. young, a lot of young players who who teams could covet you know the OG and Anobis the Pascal Siakams of the world the Precious Achuas Christian Coloco so they're they're the similar but different um than the Bulls in that regard not quite in as dire a situation as it seems the Bulls are in so hmm okay Van Fleet has a it looks like he has a an option for 2024. Is it a team or a player option? It's a player option for next season. Now he'd be owed about 22.8 million next year. So I mean, I don't know. Like, what is he? 28. Very productive. I mean, gives you a, an element of shooting that you're sorely lacking too. Mm-hmm. Um. How do you feel about? Are you a Gary Trent Jr. fan? 
I am generally. I think he's been a little up and down this season, and maybe that is is um, due to the the ebbs and flows of the Raptors season as well. I'm not sure, but I've, I've I like Gary Trent Jr. Hmm. He can get some defense when he wants to. Can knock down shots, you know. Um, so that's, that'd be interesting. That'd be interesting. I mean, and he's still young. That's the thing. Like he's 20, 23, I think. So like, you know, there's still something that maybe you can, you know, tap out of him. I. That's an interesting one. I think I like that's, I feel like the kind of move that probably is going to be made for a guy like DeMar. I, I don't, I don't think the draft capital move is there. I think it, it it's going to be probably getting high end role players for him. Now, you know, Kuzma to me is like the ultimate high end role player right now in the NBA. I, I wouldn't put him in star category. I put him as fringe all-star high end role player, right? Like a, um, like, so those are the kind of players I think you're going to be changing hands with in a DeMar DeRozan trade. And, you know, does that help the bulls? Like if you add a, we'll use this Toronto example, Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Fleet, and you now add those two in the mix with maybe Zach, we'll say Vucevic stays. Are you still really getting that much better? Or are you just kind of treading water? I don't know. It's the million dollar question, I guess. It is. It is. That's that's an interesting one to think about, though. But yeah, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. Because Kuzma, I do think that addition, that probably could help your win share a little bit. Like, I think that one, you're filling a hole plus adding something of need to the other side of the floor defensively, right? Like you're, you're getting somebody who gives you a scoring pop can hit some out shots outside and then gives you the defense too. And Oh, by the way, he technically plays the four, which is a spot that you could upgrade easily. So. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> think, think about that. line. I'm, I'm sorry. I keep doing this though. I'm, I'm dreaming. Think no. about that lineup though. If you had, you know, maybe at that point you you have, you know, Caruso at the point as you're you know waiting out for Lonzo, or maybe that's who you run with all season. You go AC, Zach, Patrick Williams at the three, or or Javante Green at the three. But one of those guys there, Kyle Kuzma, Nikola Vucevic. I feel like defensively, you really pick up with that lineup. I think so too. I think so too. Because you you eliminate, you know, God bless DeMar DeRozan, but mm-hmm. you eliminate one of the near liabilities, liabilities on, on the defensive end of the floor. So I think to your earlier point, it's a little bit of addition by subtraction, at least on that side of the floor. Mm-hmm. Um but there's always that give and take. So now you take away the main guy who you could go to to get buckets in the clutch in the fourth quarter when you're in the jam. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about, you put it back on Zach Levine's shoulder. So it's just, man, this is why those guys get paid to be. To be well, this is why, and this is why, like, it would be interesting to know what is it that, you know, Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley are thinking right now. Again, they're never going to tell us exactly, no. but, I do think this is why it would be interesting to hear from them at this point to kind of know, like, what is it that, what do you guys see right now? What do you think of all this that's going on and see, like, are all those options on the table to try to improve? I think that's what I'd be curious to know right now from, from those two guys. And like you said, if, and when Vucevic is traded, there's going to be pieces written podcasts all about, Mm-hmm. Tweets all about how they failed in that deal, considering what they gave up to get Vucevic and how they never seemingly made it out of the first round of the playoffs. Only won one game, uh, one playoff win to show for it. At this point, yes, we, we know that to be true. Mm-hmm. But I'm more worried about, okay, that went 
almost as left almost as left as it could have gone. You could say the Alonzo Ball's injury or just other injuries in general had a lot to do with it. That's fine. Okay, so what are you two guys gonna do about it now? How do you what do you do to move forward? Yeah, and put the franchise into a better position. I'm I'm less concerned about rehashing the deal and how terrible it looks now and more concerned about, okay, now what do you two do now to ensure that you do get more than one playoff victory next season or the season after that and and you become more of a competitive force in the Eastern Conference and not a team that's treading water in the middle of the league. Yeah. You brought up a good point about not wanting to rehash old history too much with the trade that was made and, and using the benefit of hindsight and revisionist history, because let's be real. If we rewind to a year ago, we would have never thought about writing that, that kind of piece. We would have said, no, this is, this is exactly where we want the bulls to be. And they're, they're trending up and ascending. The thing that I'll go back to is when you are ascending your job as an executive in the NBA is to keep your team on that track. And that even means retooling as you go. And I really think that last off season, that was your moment to say, you know what? We were good, but we can get better. And we can find ways to continue to improve this roster. Like that's what a lot of these GMs do. They operate over the cap. They make moves to continually improve the roster and get closer to championship contention. That's the goal. You you got yourself into playoff contention. You were a sixth seed. Now, what can you do to take you into contention in the Eastern Conference style contention, right? That's the next move. I think that's what pissed me off last summer is, you know, we sat here like, yeah, in a vacuum, you made some decent moves. Your bench did improve a little bit, but you didn't take this whole situation and trying to take it from, again, that point B to C, like, we're skipping a step. It feels like, like we're just holding out hope that something, you know, happens that Zach just takes a step and DeMar plays out of his skis and Lonzo comes back and everything's, you know, great again. You can't, you can't account for that in the NBA. And that's what I think a lot of the good teams do. They just keep finding ways to build and tweak and tweak every off season. I think yeah. that's the one thing the bulls skipped and they got to be held accountable. Our tourist card show is Mark Eversley. That's, that's the questions I'm curious when the media asks them, okay, you want continuity, you're not getting it. Why do you think it's happening? And also, question that needs to be asked, why did you give Billy Donovan an extension and not announce it? What was the reasoning behind it? Maybe they were afraid that they get grilled for giving him an extension by just winning one playoff game. You know, those are the questions that I'm I'm curious what their answers are. And you and I were talking about this offline. Most executives don't speak frequently. You don't want to get into a habit of always addressing the media whenever something goes wrong. But I feel like this is a little bit of a different situation. Clearly there's a problem. We just had this, this report from the athletic. We've had a really rough stretch here to start the season. I think it's time that they step up to the microphone because right now they're leaving Billy Donovan out to dry every single game. Every time something goes wrong, He's answering questions on behalf of the organization, it seems like. he's It's not even just the, the typical coaching questions. He's having to answer questions about this. To me, it's not up to him to address those kind of questions. It should be up to Arturo Skarnashovas and Mark Eversley. And look, if, if AK doesn't want to address it, hey, you're the EVP. Send your GM out there. Send Mark Eversley out there to take the mic and address it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think one of them... And I, I think it will be AK is going to address it soon, but I don't think it's going to come until after the trade deadline. Mm. I, I, that's what I'm expecting to to hear something from, from him. Um, yeah. You know what the funny thing is? Mm. When we had Will Gallib on from CHGO Bulls, I believe the Bulls had just beaten the Celtics for the second time this season. Yep. Um, that was their third time playing them in each of those three games. Um, they've been competitive. Obviously, that first game, Boston was blowing them out. Then they came back and and kind of blew Boston out of the water. But there was some chatter about, man, can this can this Bulls team 
beat the Celtics in a in a seven game series. And as I look at the standings today, <laughs> if the Bulls got into the play in, won their matchup and got the A seed, guess who they'd be playing if the playoffs mm. today? <laughs> just wanted to throw that out there. It's just crazy. Um, I don't know if that's a coincidence or just kind of how funny this season has been. It's, uh, you know, we, we've been having these discussions all season, right? Like when they face Boston, it's you're encouraged by them playing at a high level against a high opponent like Boston, right? Like Boston right now is one of the favorites in the Eastern conference and the bulls have played them hard all three games, you know, Milwaukee, like I, I, I think, honestly, tomorrow against the Bucks, totally could see them pulling an upset again tomorrow <laughs> against Milwaukee and then just shitting the bet against Detroit and shitting the bet against Cleveland, you know, back-to-back. Because that's the story of the Bulls season, and that's the frustrating part. So I do remember talking with Will about that. That was one of your questions to him was, what do you think if there was a matchup against Boston? Do they match up well in a seven-game series? To his credit, he didn't bite. He wasn't ready to. No. <laughs> he wasn't ready to go as far as uh, Ricky O'Donnell from um, SBN Nation. Although Ricky wasn't saying that they would definitely win. I think he was just more so intrigued by the matchup because of what uh, the Bulls had showed. And it's just this team, man. It's like nothing nothing to surprise anymore. The, yeah. the wins, the terrible losses. I mean – you brought it up earlier, the 150 points they gave up to the T-Wolves. Like, after they did that, it's like, man, mm-hmm. anything is on the table now. Exactly. And it should be. It should be. Like, this is this is what happens. You, you mentioned um, your prediction that AK will be the one that speaks and that it would be at the deadline. And that usually is the pattern before the season, trade deadline, after the season, round the draft key free agent signings, and that's it. We did hear from, and I mentioned this to you when we were getting ready to to hop on here. The only time that I think we saw AK speak other than that last year was when the COVID outbreak happened, right? And there was this like moment of crisis happening. The only difference though, you could say, well, right now this is a little mini crisis going on, especially with some maybe potential turmoil with your roster. The difference is that point they were still winning in spite of that. And so, you know, the, the bulls were near or at the top of the Eastern conference at that point. And, you know, AK at that moment, taking a bit of a victory lap. I remember he went on Molly and hall, you know, made the joke. Well, we already had our outbreak, so we're good. We have a competitive advantage. Like, ha ha ha. <laughs> but, you know, in this moment, there's definitely going to be a lot more, more, poignant and sharper questions thrown their way and deservedly so before we wrap up here drew i wanted to do our usual tradition of bungling what's coming up in the bull schedule we gotta start keeping track of this so i, so I can see if i should start playing a lottery on that keep uh, track of it. let's look at at this next stretch here and and we'll we'll go through this two game set with cleveland so you have the bucks at home on the 28th tomorrow hosting the Pistons, then New Year's Eve at home against Cleveland. Then you start the new year on January 2nd in Cleveland, take on the Cavaliers. What's your your gut feeling in that four-game stretch? My gut is telling me that they'll get the Pistons and they'll split with Cleveland. So I'm going to give them a two-and-two stretch here um, in these next four games, which – puts them at what 16 and 21 so there'll still be five games under 500 at that point mm-hmm. um what what are you thinking two and two sounds about right and i that was my inkling here i have a feeling there's part of me that's like it might be unconventional split the upset against milwaukee knocking off the pistons <laughs> losing two straight to the Cavs, and making us feel really sick heading into really the full first like stretch in the new year Um, that or, or losing to Milwaukee and then taking care of Detroit and splitting Cleveland that I could also see. Like, I think that probably is the more realistic route, but I just have this feeling that 
they're going to just lay an egg against Cleveland. Because think about it like this. You know, you had the two games against the Knicks that you lost. And those were winnable games against a, a winning team, right? A team with a winning record. And again, like Cleveland is in that scenario where they're, they're a really good team in the East. But it's that team that you know this is a team the Bulls should get up for, right? Like this is someone that a lot of the prognosticators when the season started say, hey, they, they're overtaking you. So you figure there's a sense of pride to come out and play Cleveland. I just have this feeling like that's the two games that I could easily see the Bulls just laying a big ass egg for. That would be incredibly disappointing, especially considering yeah. Cleveland pretty much wiped the floor with them um, in a home opener back in October. Yep. In Zach Levine's first game of the season. So you would hope that they they bring it. They would actually – you know, as we've seen them do this season, play up to the level of competition. Mm-hmm. Cleveland's making a, a great a great case to be, you know, a finals candidate. Um, yeah. With the, with the way that this team is constructed, man. That's, I think, what's so infuriating to me. That should have been you coming into this season. I get it. Donovan Mitchell trade changed their fortunes. You should be the team making a play for somebody like that. And I get it. You're... Your cap strap. You should always be in the running for somebody. Somebody should be lobbying to get to you. You were in the you were in the let's trade P Will for Rudy Gobert camp, right? I 100 percent was. And 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 part of it is just being able to say that we're serious. We want to make the run for the major all-stars, the, the top-tier guys in the league. Like I I'm not taking a victory lap on P will. I don't want to do that. I actually really like him. I think there's still something there that you can win with and have him be part of your core in some way. I I do think that's the case. I do think soft reset could help with that, but this is not taking a knock at you, Drew, but we did have um, one of our first shows. I mean, you kind of remember it was like a victory lap or, or running, you know, throwing bouquets at P will's way. And I, I wasn't having it. Yeah. Chip. Yes. And I disagreed with chip. I'm like, all right, well, he's got to show me, like, I'm not going to start saying that this guy is, is tailor made. And, and, you know, he's a freakish athlete and he's going to be, you know, superstar potential. Don't tell me that until we actually see it. This team is not waiting. Like the track changed for the Chicago bulls they're not waiting for development. Like either you have to get in line or you can slowly develop, but we're going to continue to make moves to improve this situation. I get frustrated because a team like Cleveland just passed you and you sat there and just said, yeah, you know what? We'll stay the course. We'll be status quo. And you shouldn't be doing that. If you're the Chicago bulls, you shouldn't, you should be trying to keep the championship window open that you had had, you know, you, you make these moves. You were very aggressive and bold, Okay, then continue to be aggressive and bold. If that's the route you want to go, continue to do it. I'm not saying they would have gotten Donovan Mitchell. Let me. Yeah, yeah. But my point is, you should be the one that's an aggressor. And, and that's what I think kind of frustrated me. Now, maybe that's a directive from ownership. We'll never know. That's the other thing, too. We don't know if Michael and Jerry are pulling the strings saying, eh, eh, wait, we don't want you to use the full mid-level exception. We're not paying for that. That's another part of this too. I get it, but I, I feel your frustration, man. I, I, I do. My only pushback would be is that they were that aggressor the summer before. Mm-hmm. And only so many times you can be the aggressor, especially consecutively. But I understand. I, I trust. I get it. And I was kind of yeah. on the fence about Rudy Gobert, mm-hmm. um, just because of kind of what he does to to a team offensively. But I, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm willing to look back on everything we talked about before the season and just kind of have open and honest conversations about it. Cause looking back on it, you just wonder, man, even going back to last season and to talk about, I don't know how real it was, but to, to talk about, you know, trading P wheel for Harrison Barnes or Jeremy um, Grant, better yet, Jeremy Grant. Yes, sir. So I don't know, man, it, it, it kind of, yeah, much about nothing. Cause it doesn't change anything here in the present, but it's just interesting. And I, I, you know, I wish I could, have a conversation with Acme 
behind closed doors and just ask them, hey, did you guys seriously consider trading P. Will for for Harrison Barnes or Jeremy Grant or Rudy Gobert? Like, and and just to hear what their honest replies would be, you know, if if if, um, we could give them some truth serum, but yeah. It would be interesting to know because, you know, maybe deep down one of the reasons for continuity or the, the, their rallying cry for continuity might've been, we think Lonzo ball is going to be back healthy. And we think with Patrick Williams back healthy, he's ready to take that next step. And that's the other part. I don't, I don't necessarily, unless they, they knew more about Lonzo ball's injury than we did. I, I can't, Fault. I can't. I can only put so much fault onto them. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because I, I I was drunk off this Bulls team the first, you know, two, three, four months of the season last year as well, and maybe they just, you know, wishing on a star, man. Yeah. <laughs> and and look, that's what's gonna. I think always kind of come back to haunt you is that move for Alonzo ball was really supposed to be the, the launching point for this whole situation. And we did see the difference in, in the offense and on the dif- defensive end of the floor with Lonzo ball. But, you know, even with him being out early to start the season, to me, that should have been enough to spur one major change within the roster. Um, I don't know if that was parting ways with a piece like Vooch or a piece like Patrick Williams, but it should have spurred some type of major move or course correction in some way, just to even make up for a little bit of lost time, because that's enough to change your season. If, if, if you value Lonzo ball as much as you do, then to me, there's no reason why you couldn't have made one aggressive move to help you in the interim. Because if you really value him that much, then you should think, you know what? We might need help until he gets back just to even keep this thing status quo, to steal a term they like to use, continuity. Like <laughs> To keep a level of continuity and play the type of basketball we played with him on the floor, we need to find a Band-Aid, and we need to do it now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what's taking me off. So it's got to get back to you know, tying it to what we were talking about with the stretch. We both have... The Bulls going two and two. It's that fact that with Cleveland, those two games to me will be very interesting to watch because that's a team. Again, they lapped you. Now they're, they're like you said, potential favorites to get to the finals out of the East, which is crazy to think about because if you told me that a year ago, I wouldn't have bought it when the Bulls were in the midst of what they were doing right before the new year in 2021. Wouldn't have ever thought that Cleveland would have lapped them at this point. I think I would have thought they're getting better. They're going to be a a playoff team. Never would have thought that they'd be a team that has already overtaken the Bulls and and is looking to be a a contending team in the Eastern Conference. And it's it's crazy how how fast things move. Let let me scale it back a little bit, just just so I'm clear, because I think there's a rite of passage that each team, a pecking order or whatever you want to call it, that a team has to go through. So I don't think their finals – I don't think they're – they're going to come out of the East, but I think they are contenders. If that makes yeah, sense. I don't expect I, them to, to come out of the East. We could see them as potentially an Eastern Conference Finals type yeah, team fighting for that opportunity. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And the thing is, though, they do have that guy. I mean, they, they do have that guy in Donovan Mitchell that could catch heater in a seven-game series. Yeah, and he's got more protection from a defensive standpoint than he, than he did in Utah. Exactly. So Rudy Gobert, that's shade to the rest of his teammates in Utah (laughs) and him, you know, he himself, you know, just not putting forth kind of that, that winning intensity that you need on that side of the ball. But it's about matchups too, you know, it's about matchups too, obviously. hundred percent. We'll leave on this. The bulls can beat the bucks. If, the Bulls can beat the Bucks if their big three plays the way we saw them play three games prior to Monday. And they play connected defensively. And Grayson Allen doesn't throw fireballs inside the United Center like he did 
two games here in the playoffs um, this past spring, summer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I would agree with that. It definitely comes down to can the Bulls replicate what they did in that three-game stretch of just bringing that effort and defense to the floor that night. And look, it looks like Chris Milton probably not going to go. So, you know, you have a shot. And you, he, they were without him the last time you beat him. So with him not on the floor, there's definitely, I think, a chance. Um, yeah, I think it's just it, it's going to come down, like you said, effort defensively and, and coming from from that big three of the Bulls. So oh, you know, um, one, more, one more thing I'll yeah. add to that. They're going to need both of Alex Caruso or Javante Green mm. to play. I think they're both listed as questionable as it is, as it stands um, tonight, Tuesday, going into Wednesday's game. Those guys. Yeah, like right before we hopped on, that's the latest update so far. Hopefully they can play because they will make a big difference in a game like that. I think it's going to be a game that crowd at the United Center, I think, is going to get up for it. It's a big matchup against a marquee team, and I think the fan base is dying to get things back on track. So I think it's definitely going to be an interesting game on Wednesday night. Remember, Bulls Nation, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at mgentil 88 Drew is at look what Drew did. The rebuildable Twitter handle is at rebuild underscore a underscore bull. And that's where you can probably find all of our latest episodes, but we're also on all the major streaming services, the, the Spotify's of the world, the Stitcher, Apple podcasts. We're hip. We're with it. Right, Drew? I'm trying, man. I'll be 40 here in February, so I'm, I'm trying to hold on to the hipness. Mm. Speaking of which, uh, for Bulls Nation, my Scotty Pippen year of 33 ends on Friday. I will oh. be joining uh, 34. I have with Shaquille O'Neal. I'm trying. I don't. I can't think of a bull that had number 34. Oh, Bill Wennington. Bill Wennington. Yes. Mike. I mean, I, Charles, I, Oakley. I, Charles Oakley 34 too. Charles Oakley was 34. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> love, love Bill Wennington. I actually kind of like Charles Oakley too. Love watching the old highlights of him, but. Just given the Hall of Fame track, I'll take it. I'll call it the Shaq year. <laughs> you know, not Orlando Shaq, but the refined MVP Shaq from the, the Lakers days. So, I can dig it. All right. So, with Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile. Everybody have a safe and healthy, happy new year. We'll catch you in 2023. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.